Welcome to episode four of the Sporting Beauty Podcasts, where we dive into sports-related topics that have truly inspired me and usually one of a kind and tells a tale or lesson that goes beyond the sports world. So I don't know about you, but I felt that the month of January was extremely chaotic and pessimistic start to 2021. Um, And then came February where there was a few more lighthearted moments for me and I was able to have a sense of a bit more optimism of the year ahead. Um, And one of these moments that I've been having is trying to figure out how to slowly build the direction of the podcast um, for a few weeks from outlining topics to adding different theme songs or different background music playing or even the way I present my topics. Um, the whole podcast experience is still very new to me um, to help me find my voice, especially since this is a one-woman show at the moment. Um, it's been very exciting trying to put all the content together in an audio perspective because it's an exciting challenge for me. When I'm able to talk about sports topics, events, products, or people, it always starts with a visual component where the listeners have to have watched a game or interview or read a book about that particular subject um, before listening to the podcast. Um, I can't make assumptions that you, the listeners, know some of the terms or events that have occurred beforehand. Um, I need to add a background of what I have to speak about and then transition to my points and where I'm going with it or what the beauty behind all of them is. The idea behind this podcast is not only a journal for me, but a different take at looking at sports topics outside of play-by-play or game slash player statistics. It's more about societal and cultural impact through mainly a marketing and advertising perspective. So at times I might move into personal topics. I have to be mindful of the words and thoughts I put out because these episodes do go out public and I need to place a boundary of how much I share um, versus the research I've done. So please bear with me as I try to figure all that out and the best way to communicate all that to you in order for you guys to enjoy and possibly build awareness of some of these fun and more engaging topics. Now back to the theme of the episode. The month of February also brought some really exciting celebrations. Um, And while I'm unable to celebrate any of them with many of my loved ones or families during pandemic times, I'm dedicating this episode to these three events. And they are honoring my heritage with Chinese New Year, exploring and learning about African community during Black History Month, and taking the time to spread love through Valentine's Day. I will be talking about the commercialization of 
Chinese New Year over the years, adding a brand marketing campaign that appropriately captures the Chinese customs, then moving into an experiment I did for five days to see if an Ethiopian diet and training will build my endurance to be a better runner. And lastly, we'll be celebrating love and dating with Bumble, a global social platform that recently gone public. So please join me as we celebrate these three events. As some of you might know, I am of Chinese heritage, and one of the biggest cultural celebrations we have is the Chinese New Year's, also known as Lunar Celebrations. It's where families and relatives come together, honor our ancestors, and get excited for the spring season. Since some of my family reside in North America and some back at home in Hong Kong, our traditions and practices have changed over the years, and I would say for the better. Back when my family first immigrated to Canada, our Chinese New Year's involved calling all our relatives in Hong Kong to wish them good fortune, having dinners with family friends, and having delicious food and snacks, and my personal favorite getting red pocket money, which is when parents and elders provide money in red envelopes to unmarried individuals and children to turn evil spirits away. As the celebrations continue over the years, computer technologies have been more advanced and my family started integrating video chats and regular messaging with relatives back home and sharing greetings. My family would do our best to always contact our long-distance relatives via video during their dinners to be part of the festivities. It's become a tradition for us to send electronic red pocket money after my siblings and I greet our elders with good blessing and share via photos of what our meals are and even send gifts, usually red clothing or snacks, to mark a new beginning and bring prosperity to us all. But I started noticing something in recent years of the gifts we would get. They were being getting more personalized and often were items produced by top Western retailers like Nike. When I was younger, before 2010, I received soccer socks from the up-to-date Manchester United kit from my uncle for New Year's because he knew how much I loved playing the sport and supported my favorite team. I would always wear those socks for good luck for the first game of my team's season. Then, for the celebrations in 2017, my uncle gifted me red soccer socks But this time it was from Nike and it was engraved with my Chinese zodiac sign on it. This was one of the few times I started noticing brands relying on zodiac signs to sell products. For those who aren't familiar with the zodiac signs, they are 12 animals that represent 12 year lunar cycles where each is widely associated with a cultural a culture of aspirating a person's personality or events in their life to suppose influence of the person's particular relationship to the cycle. Much like Western zodiacs slash horoscopes that represent a monthly cycle that are more associated with star constellations. But back to the topic. For me, this was the start 
of noticing the commercialization of the lunar celebrations from major retailer brands who wanted to position themselves well in the growing Chinese economy and embrace a traditional holiday as an opportunity to profit on. According to China's Ministry of Commerce, Chinese consumers in 2019 spent over $149 billion across the week-long Chinese New Year holiday. China is also a hotspot for luxury retailers spending about $7 billion each year on brand name goods. It's no different from Thanksgiving or Christmas holidays where the main custom is spending time with your loved ones and also spending money to show our affection. Only now Western retailers were tapping into the Asian market. But for me and many other Chinese families, Lunar New Year and the Year of the Ox in 2021 will remain mostly with virtual connections as there's still restrictions in seeing friends and families outside our household in Canada, and most of us don't want to spoil the epidemic's efforts and control just for personal interests. Even in China, most expect around 1.2 billion trips to be made by road, rail, air, and ship in the world's largest annual migration, there's going to be a drop of more than 20% from last year. So as a marketer, I took a look at how retail brands approach their Chinese New Year campaigns amidst the coronavirus to leverage sales and messagings behind them as most shopping slash gifting experiences remains in the hands of e-commerce space. Overall, many brands have moved away from the traditional advertising trope of people traveling back home to be with their loved ones. Instead, brands focused on finding positivity, happiness, creativity, and building resilience through storytelling of customs and myths within the New Year context. But for me, there was one brand that stood out the most. And it was Adidas who launched their campaign theme called Make Auspicious Chinese New Year Wishes Come True, which connects well to China's contemporary social and cultural context of receiving red pocket money by elders to bring luck and success to the younger generation. But more importantly, the marketing campaign encouraged their young audience to honor their blessings and make wishes come true through their actions, a concept that I believe many Chinese have taken for granted. Unlike luxury brands who attempt to cater to an older and wealthier clientele, Adidas looks to target a younger demographic, let's say millennial, Gen Z, Gen X, who are looking for ways to connect with the brand and possibly asking their parents or even using their own red pocket money to get one of the special additional kicks and apparels. In order to do this, Adidas devised an omni-channel gamification plan, meaning they would connect shoppers in various online and offline platforms through a friendly Contests which involves shoppers winning Adidas coins if they have made a purchase and this could be leading to different prizings. 
Through their commercial, the team features a lively lunar year celebration in a small town with typical scenarios of family dinners and lion dancings with appearances made by their Adidas brand ambassadors who comprises of Chinese artists and actors like Jackson Yi, Jason Chan, Liu Yifei, Zhang Zhongnin, and child actress Wang Shidi. To connect even more with their younger audience, Adidas released behind the scenes of their commercial special effects on TikTok. Customers can also physically go to the stores to purchase items and gain physical coins, which can be scanned by the Adidas app to unreveal any interactive game in which users needed to collect wishes from the campaign stars to win prizes. On top of this campaign, the different pieces in the sports performance, kids, and Adidas original collections are decorated with traditional emblems like fish and oxen. The select original editions even include a stitched inner pocket under the tongue representing good fortune. The campaign goes well with the ox's Chinese symbolism of wealth and prosperity with the use of the Adidas gold coin to give the younger generation their way of the red pocket money concept. By purchasing Adidas apparel item and getting a coin, they might be lucky to win even a bigger prize from Adidas. Overall, the brand uses traditional cultural motifs commonly seen in Chinatowns worldwide of the celebration, but goes deeper with a highly nuanced and localized perspective with the gifting concept. In Canada, celebrations for Black History Month were underway as we honor the enormous contributions that Black people have made and continue to make in all sectors of society. It is about celebrating resilience, innovation, and determination to work towards a more inclusive and diverse country. Since last summer, there has been a resurgence in conversations and social movements surrounding the commitment in understanding, supporting, and assisting the continued growth of the Black communities and to end anti-Black systematic racism throughout all aspects of our lives. To get involved in learning more myself, I set out a goal not to only listen to talks and programs, but to also experience the culture through my stomach and exercising. I wanted to find some new food experience in the African cuisine to celebrate a specific country's heritage and also show how these foods bring communities together in the sports setting. Knowing that the Ethiopian community has been growing in my city, I wanted to focus on the region's cuisine by ordering some of those dishes to get to know the region's diet and their traditions. But to make this project even more personal, I wanted to conduct an at-home five-day experiment on how eating Ethiopian cuisine foods will enhance my running performance. I am a recreational runner and have seen over the past few decades, Ethiopian long distance runners have reached success in the sports with top Olympian athletes like 
Tiranish Dibaba winning three gold medals and three bronze medals between 2004 and 2016 in long-distance track races for her country. These athletes become heroes in their community to show hard work and determination. While going through my research on why Ethiopians are competitive runners, many articles by sports scientists focus on the country's altitude slash climate or their genetics, whereas social scientists looked at how running can help many Ethiopians escape from poverty and into making millions through sponsorships. But there wasn't a lot of research that looked into connecting traditional Ethiopian dishes to running performances, so I wanted to conduct the experiment to see whether eating those dishes will improve my running endurance. To start this experiment, I read a research article from the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition of Food and Micronutrients Intake of Elite Ethiopian distance runners to understand what specific foods and spices these athletes ate that were different from my own, which consists of mainly a more Canadian diet with high protein and vegetables and less grain. The article examines 10 highly trained Ethiopian long distance runners and their diet seven days before they compete their races. For these runners, The diet consists mainly of vegetable sources, approximately 88%, with only a small portion of meat, approximately 12%. Breakfast consists typically of milk, porridge, omelet, and bread. Lunch consists mainly of vegetable sources, such as pasta, rice, and lentils, while meat was served only twice a week, and dinner was similar to lunch. But the most surprising factor was their daily fluid intakes consist mainly of water, while the athletes did not consume any fluids before and during their training sessions. Their intake of other sources of daily fluids consists of water consumed as moisture in foods, such as fruits. Drinking less fluid was a surprising factor for me because after most of my workouts and runs, I would drink water. So to prepare my food intake for the next five days, I took similar steps to the research. I ate mainly oatmeal and an omelet for breakfast. And for lunch and dinner, I ordered Ethiopian dishes from three different restaurants that were mainly vegetable sources and less meat. The dishes I chose to order for vegetable sources were cabbage wat, a vegan stew, gomen wat, a collard green dish, miser wat, an Ethiopian spice red lentil dish, and seasoned chickpeas. For the two lunch and dinner days where I ate meat, I ordered azar tib, a lamb stew, and durawat, a chicken stew with red pepper. For my snack, I focused on wet fruits like oranges and injera, a spongy yeast-risen flatbread that I would also mix into my meals. I purchased from the restaurants every other day, so I would have a day-old leftover from the restaurants to keep things fresh, fresh, especially the meat, and the flavors intact. 
for fluids, I drank four cups of water, three cups less of what I usually drink, and had Ethiopian coffee twice. For my training, I ran for five straight days on my treadmill as my city is in the dead of winter and there is pretty much snow everywhere. I set a plan where I would run 5K for the first three days and then 10K for the last two days and incorporated home exercises into the mix to work out all my muscles. From eating the country's cuisine, I enjoyed seeing the great flavors and spices to all their vegetarian and vegan dishes. The country's strong religious fasting practices of the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahidu's Church have encouraged the cuisine to have more creative vegan-friendly dishes when consumption of meat, dairy, and eggs are restricted from their diets during fasting. I also learned how to eat with my hands as it is a reflection of a community's hospitality and cultural identity. Growing up using chopsticks, forks, spoons, and knives as the standard Chinese and Canadian food etiquette, I rarely had the experience of hand-to-mouth eating. To get some education on eating with my hands, I turned to YouTube and Googling guides on proper customary techniques. In Ethiopia, I only needed to use my right hand to grab a piece of indora bread and scoop up my vegetables or meats before eating. The left hand is not to be used as it is considered unclean in African culture and food should, on, should not be touched by my palms, but be picked up with my fingertips only. Even though I was eating all these dishes by myself, and many of these dishes were shareable, so I should not be putting my fingers into my mouth, but push the food in with my thumb, which took a few times to get right. This is taught because shared foods comes in one big platter, shared with numerous family and friends, and so this is to maintain personal hygiene. From the dishes I tried, I particularly liked the cabbage wat, which had consisted of cabbage, potatoes, and carrots in the stew. And from my understanding, when I spoke with the restaurant staff, the dish added Ethiopian spiced clarified butter, which I think helped the dish taste better. Normally, my vegetable intakes consist of salads or boils or stir-fried vegetable dishes. So this stew is perfect for the winter weather in Canada and definitely kept my body warm. For the meat dish, I really enjoyed the spice lamb stew as the meat is more of a specialty in Canada as chicken, beef, pork, and turkey are more common meats we have. But the lamb stew was particularly delicious with smoked paprika spicing and red wine. Everything came together perfectly when I soaked in some of the sauces with my injury bride. Because I used higher daily water intake, I found it much harder to only drink four cups of water. So I did kind of cheat a bit and it drank some more water in addition to drinking some Ethiopian coffee brewed already when I ordered from the restaurant. This didn't help because the coffee dried up my throat and I ended up drinking six cups for three of the five days. Even though I did eat orange 
a day, my liquid intake needed to be much higher than those Ethiopian athletes. While most Ethiopian runners train and run together to keep things competitive and more community driven, I ran on the treadmill alone between 30 to 50 minutes. To make it more challenging for myself, I YouTubed several warm up drills Ethiopian runners did before and after they run. The interval training I did consists of running, push ups, jumping, burpees, and squats, and it was extremely intense. I definitely plan to add these components to my running routine to keep things more exciting. I enjoyed seeing the strong running community the country has established and the dedication each athlete's put in their craft. For the five days, I definitely felt very focused on my running and diet, and my diet was healthier as I ate less meat and sugary foods. It was hard to see a difference because I only committed to the diet and workout for five days, but I definitely planned to add certain workout components to my training and looking forward to trying even more delicious dishes from the Ethiopian community. I'm very appreciative of the opportunity I got to understand wine country in Africa because it opens my eyes on part of the Ethiopian sporting community and food experiences and custom that I'm not accustomed to. Dating apps have been thriving amidst the pandemic with single people looking for ways to get connected, improve their dating lives, and alleviate feelings of loneliness. While social distancing rules in most countries have temporarily put a hold on most people seeing one another or even have carefree hookups, online dating is the most safe and comfortable tactic for some virtual company. And so many dating apps are stepping in to advance their platforms in building successful virtual courtships, increase marketing strategies to attract new users, and change the dating landscape from not just a casual hookup source, but where users are able to find more fulfilling relationships, emotionally and physically. One dating app that really took the pandemic landscape by storm is the US-founded Bumble. The social matchmaking app offers dating, BFF, and business pairings that is notable for taking a a feminist approach. For example, on the dating side of the app, women in search of men must make the first move. Men cannot respond until a woman says hello, even if they mutually match. This month and three days before Valentine's Day, Bumble won Wall Street's hearts by going public and listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which shares initially valued at $43, but increasing during trading to $76, valuing the company at more than $13 billion. The app's founder, Whitney Wolfherd, is not only the youngest female billionaire at the age of 31 years old, but her story is inspirational for young women in the technology industry that overcomes tremendous resistance, bias, and hardship. 
I become very impressed with the social platform this year as their marketing strategies are excellent examples of creative marketing that embraces the realities of the moment and takes their online platform into a real life extension. While the app has branched out more than just a dating app, the three marketing campaigns slash partnerships that I'll be talking about chronologically leans towards how the brand has dominated conversations and solutions while dating during pandemic times. In April 2020, a month into most of North America still being locked down and at home, Bumble collaborated with BuzzFeed to host a 24-hour video dating event called Virtual Connections. The focus for Bumble was to introduce users to video chats and voice calls within the platform so the connections made are facilitated easily and are more meaningful. By staying socially connected through the live call feature, the Bumble experience allows virtual dates to happen, which has users staying longer on the app and opens new opportunities to connect digitally before users meet one another. BuzzFeed is a smart choice to partner with as media companies' targeted audience are mainly under 35 years old, mainly single, and are looking for new experiences before while being stuck at home. During the campaign, BuzzFeed's page held a 90-minute video of 22 people having their first virtual dates played on repeat under the brand's YouTube and other social media channels. Among the real Bumble users, there were also special uh, guest appearances from a number of well-known personalities, including BuzzFeed social influencers, bloggers like David Dobrik, and from reality TV show Love is Blind stars Lauren Speed and Cameron Hamilton. By documenting the virtual dating experience, it gives users the confidence to give the feature a try and actually see the person they're talking to and not just rely on photos and text messagings. During those first few months of lockdown, Bumble was one of the earlier apps to embrace reality and find a way to navigate these events in a real and relevant format. Because bars, restaurants, theaters, sporting events were no longer options for users to meet physically, the marketing campaign spoke directly to singles that there was a virtual option to keep everyone safe socially connected, and show the joy of digital relationships in a more genuine method by having one-on-one conversations. By the midsummer and a few months into social distance restrictions in some areas, continual lockdowns in other areas, some people took advantage of virtual dating and found themselves in relationships, while others took a step back and ended their relationships. But for those broken-hearted couples that are li- still living together, moving out during pandemic times is even more stressful and possibly cost way more. So many of them continue to live with their exes, waiting for the right moment to leave. 
So here was an opportunity for brands to address the breakup conversation. And I believe Bumble took this task directly, creatively, and boldly. They were approached by Babe Wines, the brand of sparkling canned wine owned by AB InBev and the official wine sponsor of the NFL. They reached out to the app to support them on a social marketing campaign to cover moving costs of people who were stuck living with an ex during the pandemic. Those interested took advantage of the offer by tagging themselves on the moving on post on Babe's Instagram account and showing how they were turning their breakup into a glow up. The five winners were announced two weeks after the promotion. And as part of the publicity stunt, Babe and Bumble created a mock moving company called BMB Movers in Babe's brand colors, pale pink and navy blue. Across the side of the van, a message reads, Babe and Bumble are here to help you move on. Literally, period. In addition to moving the winner's belongings, BMB movers can also help with removing all traces of an X from a smartphone and tailoring a Bumble profile to get the winners back on the dating scene. For Babe Wines, its target was to attract consumers ages 18 to 29, as these were the consumers most likely to purchase their product for convenience and consistent value with their easy drinking style. For Bumble, it demonstrated how their online product can also translate into real-life situations. Though this is a digital contest, Bumble is also able to connect with recent single consumers in a more authentic way. Both brands understood that breakups are hard and living with an ex can even be more intolerable. By extending a hand to consumers during a rough stage in their life, both brands' partnership successfully shows empathy and encouragement for newly single people to embrace their current status because there will be better times. By September, it was safer to meet up with potential dates at outdoor events, picnics, or just a quick outdoor hangout. And so Bumble got experiential to build out safe physical dates in Atlanta, Georgia. At a nearby park, Bumble had installed a park bench that is six feet in length to practice social distancing. The yellow bench also has the back painted with a statement, I need space, but only like six feet, along with the Bumble logo. Beside the bench comes equipped with a hand sanitizer dispenser, which also has the app's mission of creating safe, equal, and healthy connections and hashtag keep it clean on Bumble taped to the side. The bench concept is very well thought out as it is a functional being in the park, creates a message of safeness during a pandemic, attracts more eyes on the brand for onlookers. I admired how Bumble promoted 
promotions that were up to date for customers and also maximizing opportunities to delight users in unexpected ways. As Bumble steps into a new stage in the stock market, the company is showing that it is more than just an app. It plans to be a movement for females to take a lead in setting their rules in dating, friendships, and business networking. This is the end of this month's episode, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next month. Talk to you guys soon.